The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning to all of you and all of you joining us online. Um, man, I'm just, I'm glad to be here this morning. I really am. I mean, I, I really am glad to be in God's house. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor and that's what pastors are supposed to say. Like I literally, I'm, nothing else makes sense anymore, but being in God's house and his word and being with his people. And um, I'm just glad not to be confused in some of the things that this world is confused about. You know what I mean? Um, it's Mr. Potato Head, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not confused about that. And I'm just, and that sounds silly, but honestly, like, I'm, I'm glad to have a heart that's redeemed from deadness because of the cross. I'm glad that Jesus has, I'm glad to be born again this morning, church, because there's some light, there's some things that you see in the light of being born again that you just don't see otherwise. And I'm, I'm glad for that this morning. So, uh, so I love you all so much, and I'm glad that you're here. And uh, let's go to our Lord, and let's pray that he would have his way among us. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we are your church. We are your bride here this morning, Jesus. With great thanksgiving in our hearts for the cross. Thank you to be born again, Jesus, that you would make that way possible for us. I don't even know how to say thank you for something like that, Lord, but, but I am grateful. I'm overwhelmed by your love for us. I'm overwhelmed that while we were still sinners, you would, you would die for us. To give us this new heart, to be born again into this, into this light. I love it, Jesus. I, I love this life that you've given us together as believers even in a world that's so stained and cursed by sin, it's to walk through it redeemed and to walk through it forgiven, knowing that the lasting impacts of this world are, are no longer that of our own anymore, Jesus, because of what you've done and how you've saved us. So, so God, we make ourselves available to you today, this morning, as we, as we open our hearts and, and seek, to, seek to be changed by your Spirit. We seek to walk in obedience of your word. We're thankful for it this morning. In Jesus' name, and all the church says, amen. So church, if you were to take a stroll through the wilderness of East or Southern Africa, you would see potentially lots of different kinds of wildlife, but one of the animals that you very well may see would be the kudu. Now the kudu, I believe we have a picture of it for us this morning. I'll let them pull that up. A kudu is part of the antelope kind of animal. And they've got a lot going for them. They've got some great strength in their legs that can help them ward off predators. They've got a good amount of weight on them. They're one of the larger animals that fall in this antelope kind of category. They stand sometimes up to five feet at the shoulders. They're a pretty large animal and quite strong. And, 
and their predominant thing that they have to worry about are the lions. It's the predominant predator to, predator to this animal. Do we have a picture of that, gentlemen? Perhaps we're working on that, perhaps we are not, but perhaps we have it, or perhaps not. I know they're working up there. They're always working up there, but um, this animal has this predator of a lion that uh, is dangerous to them, and it is the predominant enemy of the kudu. Now, there's other things that the kudu has to worry about also, is uh, where they drink water from. Because in the places that this animal lives, some of the watering holes that they drink from are infected with this virus called rinderpest. Now, rinderpest is a disease, it's a virus that impacts many different kinds of animals with, with a split hoof, like the kudu does. And it's transmitted from one animal to the other by drinking in this water. An infected animal will drink from a pool of water, and then that pool of water will harbor this rinderpest virus, making it detrimental to all the other animals that would come after and drink from this same pool of water. And this rinderpest virus does all the things to the animal's body that any very difficult virus does. It, it makes them lose weight. They'll have a frothiness and a discharge from the mouth and nose and eyes. They're just an overall sick animal, and it will usually be the thing that takes their life. It's a slow process through this virus, this rinderpest virus, and they get it from drinking in these particular pools of water. Now, you and I today, not in South or East Africa, but here in Johnstown, Ohio, we are going about, and we've got some good things going for us here. Church growth in a very famine type of season that many have experienced. We've experienced predominantly wonderful health as a congregation. We've, we've been very blessed of God here in this house, and, and I'm very thankful for that. But uh, we too have an enemy that's not an actual physical lion, but he's like a lion. And the Word tells us that he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour and no doubt that is the fundamental thing that we have to be concerned about the temptations the devil would bring to us and and that enemy of our souls the accuser of the brethren as the bible calls him but there are some other things that we have to watch out for as well church uh, water pools of water with render pest in them if you will uh, there are pools of water that lots of believers are drinking from today Lots of churches are drinking from today. And there's lots of ways in which people and groups and churches can drink from these render pest pools of water. Things like exchanging the gospel, exchanging salvation for social justice wokeism. It's, it's a dangerous pool to drink from. It can be the thing that will cause a sickness to infect our bodies, our body of believers here together that will eventually lead to a demise. We, we could drink from a, a render pest pool of water of lukewarm. This passive faith that is really what describes American Christianity today. We could drink from a renderpest pool of water of gossip where we would become a backbiting group of people. We could drink from a renderpest pool of water of, of unforgiveness where we would have bitterness harboring in our hearts against each other as a family. And, and overall, church, I believe that through God's Holy Spirit and His great graciousness to us, that we have been able to stay away from a lot of these pools of water. And I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. We've been very blessed. God has given us a lot of unity around this church and a lot of this no matter what kind of faith and trust in God's Word and in God's Word alone, seeing it as completely authoritative in our lives. We've been very blessed to, to stay away from these kinds of pools of water, these render pest 
pools of water. But as a church, as a body of believers, we have some new pools. And I'm speaking as collectively as a church this morning. Together as us, New Covenant Community Church, we together as a church family are going to be going by some of these pools of render pest, if you will, that we've never been by before. And some of us will be tempted to drink from these pools of water. And here's what I'm preaching on this morning, and we'll be in the scriptures in just a moment. So if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 as we're turning there. This church has grown in a way that I did not expect, in a way that the people that have been here for a long time did not expect, and even the people that are new to this church that have known me for a while did not expect, and much unexpectedness if you haven't caught on yet. It's, it's um, quite humbling, honestly, for a pastor, almost kind of scary sometimes when, when you see things grow the way that it has, and, and it's certainly gotten to the point where we are in need of additional pastoral leadership, someone to be able to help me with the pastoral duties at this church, and, and we intend to do this. I shared much about this uh, during our annual meeting that we had earlier this month. This pastor that we will look to bring on to, to help us, to help with the leadership and to help me in all the pastoral duties of this church, this will be someone who wears multiple different hats in this church. That's the understanding that we see that the Lord has brought us what he's brought us and, and we see the things that are lacking the things that are, are needing and the predominant thing is lacking is pastor ben needs help <laughs> pastor ben needs help with some of the duties just around here throughout the week and and this pastor that we will search for we we foresee fulfilling a lot of different things and wearing a lot of different hats helping helping offer a lot of leadership to the worship ministry here at the church is is one of the predominant hats that he will wear and because the Bible says that there is safety in the multitude of counselors, uh, I have asked for there to be four people that would be around me in this process. And, uh, and I trust these people. There's very much a sense in this church that there are a host of people that would be perfectly qualified to help with this kind of thing, but we've just simply grown to the size, friends, that if we were to have everyone that was qualified to be able to help with this kind of task to be a part of that kind of effort, the mechanics of it would simply not work. There would just be too many people. So I have asked, and I'm going to ask for them just to raise their hands so we can all see their face. I know most of us know these people, but for those of us that are new, we can start to get to know one another as our church has grown. Um, Diana, can you raise your hand? We can all see Diana. I've asked her to help me. Larry, where's Larry at? Larry's there in the back. I've asked him to help with this process. Eldon, Eldon is right over here on this side. And Beth. Warner, right over here, up at the front. And, uh, and I've asked these four to help me with this process. Now, this process, church, it is riddled with temptations. Riddled with it. There, there are render pest pools that we will be going past, that we will be tempted to drink from, that are temptations of the devil that I like to preach about in this very simple message titled, The Heart of a Leader. And I'd like to preach from God's Word to show us how we avoid these dangerous render pest pools of water. I'm not so naive, churches, to understand that when there's something like this where you need to bring on a staff person at a church, an additional pastor, that there's people 
that wanted to be a part of that group to to bring that person in and there's temptations that jealousy would arise in people's hearts there's a temptation for preferences we're bringing about the most controversial type of pastor ever a worship pastor and some of you are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Temptations. These things will be temptations for us. Render pest pools that we will be going past that we collectively as a church have never gone past before. To go from one pastor to having an associate pastor to help. So we should be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I invite you to look to verse 6. We find ourselves in the biblical narrative of the redemptive history story that all of scripture is to us and we come to the point where israel the old testament group of folks that were god's people needed a new leader needed leadership and if you know your bible well you'll know at this point in time the very first king of israel who's a man by the name of saul he is in the process god is in the process of removing him and bringing this new leader in because saul was found to be unfaithful now just before anybody jumps to conclusions i don't have any intentions of going anywhere i'm not saying that i'm saul in this story just hang with me here i'm not saying that at all but what is clear in god's word is that is that additional leadership was needed and god was in the process of removing saul and the prophet or the preacher or the pastor of that day was a man by the name of samuel the prophet samuel and God says, Prophet Samuel, I want you to go to a place called Bethlehem and I'm going to introduce you to a man named Jesse. And of this man named Jesse, of his sons, I have made for myself a king from his sons. I want you to go there and I will reveal to you who the next king will be. So Samuel being the obedient, God-fearing prophet that he was, he goes to the place God had called him to go. He meets this man named Jesse and he, this man named Jesse is having his sons go before him so that he can see who be that the lord would say would be the next leader and king of israel verse six it says so it was when they came that he samuel looked at Eliab and said surely the lord's anointed is before him but the lord said to samuel do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because i have refused him for the lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called, anybody want to take a stab at that name, Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Church, we are encouraged to praise and support lots of things. Can we put our hands together for God's Word this morning? That we have His Word before us to show us the way through and past, hopefully, these render pest pools, things that we just need God's Word, church. If you're not convinced of that, then 
get convinced of it really quick. So I'm going to continue preaching. Uh, Verse 6, as we look back to it to see what the word of the Lord would be to us this day as we seek God's word. So it was, verse 6, when they came that Samuel, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now we know, church, from the verses that follow after that, that it was his physical stature and appearance that that attracted Samuel to Eliab and thinking that surely, Eliab, this has got to be the one that that the Lord is going to anoint as the new king. And we know the Lord says, don't look at his stature, don't look at his physical appearance. Now we can probably fill in the blanks, church, of what we can probably guess perhaps what some of those things were. Samuel saw Eliab, this son of Jesse, this brother of David, and he thought to himself, man, I can just He's tall and he's strong and he's muscular and he's got a chiseled chin and, and, and I can just I can picture in my mind the crown of being on his on his head. I can picture in my mind the king's robe being placed over his broad shoulders. I can I can picture in my mind him being the right kind of influence that we need in this kingdom of Israel. I can I can just picture I have these things I understand. I can I can foresee him being the kind of king that that I that I foresee us having. He he had some preferences. Samuel had some preferences of what he thought would make a good king, which is why he said, surely the Lord's anointed must be him. It must be Eliab. We as a church and most churches, when they grow and when they expand and when they need to bring on additional pastors and move past the point where just one man can shepherd the flock, the flock has grown beyond that. Most all of us probably have some preferences in our minds and in our hearts as to what we think that kind of man ought to be like. As to what he looks like and how old he is and what he dresses like and the kind of car he drives and where he lives and how many children and whether or not he's married and how long he's been married and what kind of ministry education he's got and how much experience he has in ministry and, and all of these kinds of things. There's this kind of, kind of patternized way of thinking about it that You think, okay, you get someone who's this kind of age and and this kind of person that looks this kind of way, and we can we we like Samuel can picture this kind of thing that's the normal way of going. We think to ourselves, well, if we could just get someone that can lead well in worship and someone that that doesn't make anyone mad or is 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 real typical in their worship leading and all these things, then then that's the way to go. And and church, I'm just not convinced of that. kudu when they are wandering about doing whatever it is that kudu do when they do what they do they as they're wandering about they'll you know why they follow these these pathways to these render pest pools of water with this render pest virus in it is because they see other kudu tracks going that way they're much like white-tailed deer that we have here in ohio they they see the tracks going just the way that everybody else goes and they go that way and they become the recipient of something that's not good for them. And I'm convinced that for far too long, people, pastors, this is something to blame pastors for certainly, is that they see the kudu tracks, they see the pastoral tracks, they see the pathway of the way to go, and they just go that way for no real good rationale other than the fact that there's kudu tracks on the ground that lead that way. And I'm not convinced that that's the right way. It says there in verse 7, as we, as we see Samuel having these preferences these expectations that much of us probably have towards another pastor an additional pastor look what the lord says in verse 7 but the lord said to samuel do not everyone say the word do not do not look at his appearance 
or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. I've refused him. A church, God didn't need broad shoulders and a chiseled chin to raise up a king in Israel. God does not need this very, very typical, looks like everyone else kind of pastor to come and lead us in worship and to help me minister to this body of believers. God doesn't need that. He can do things with very non-typical, non-kudu tracks in the ground going to the... God doesn't need that. Going on and it says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So our first point this morning, the Lord looks at the heart of a leader, and we should too. Say those words with me. The Lord looks at the heart of a leader, and we should too. The points are simplistic this morning, have you noticed? The Lord looks at the heart of a leader, and we should too, church. God says, be holy as I am holy. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see God doing this kind of thing, looking at someone's heart, not their outward appearance, not their physical stature, not all the preconceived ideas that Samuel had and that probably lots of us have towards bringing on another pastor. We ought to look at the heart as our Lord does. We ought to avoid the render-pest watering hole of preferences. I'm in this world of, of pastoral stuff. That's my life. That's my calling. It's my career. But, and I know that's not obviously the case for all of us, but if you, if you look at the postings that many churches will put out for pastors of, of what a church is looking for, they will put things, no joke, not even making an exaggeration here, which Abby always says that, hopefully not from the pulpit in God's Word, but she says in normal life, I usually exaggerate things by 20%, but I'm really trying hard not to exaggerate right now. But, but you'll look at postings and you'll see, like, no joke, they will say, we're looking for a man who's 40 to 45 years old with three kids. We're looking for a man who's been married for 15 years. We're looking for a man with a master's degree in theology. We're looking for a man with, with five to seven years of experience. We're looking for, I mean, it's like, man, why don't you just put, we're looking for a man with one blue eye and one brown eye. Like, <laughs> and and if, God has, if God has so poured into someone that they have that clear, true vision of what it is that God has called for this church, then more power to them. But I have the, I have this thought, church, that just maybe that God didn't tell them that, that their preferences gave them that. That maybe they just weren't. I'm just really glad that Samuel didn't have those kinds of presuppositions as he went in to go anoint the new leader of Israel. So because of that, church, because of this principle that, that God looks at the heart and we ought to do the same. And church, can I just tell you, Yes, it's the Old Testament, but I believe this. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe this to be true. Because of that, we, as in myself and the group that I've asked to help me, we are choosing, and I hope that you would join in this vision, join in this mission with us, church. We are choosing to give no credence, no credence whatsoever to the kinds of things that don't really matter. The things that didn't matter to God when he brought up David, this young boy that don't matter to God that he could use three Hebrew boys to walk through the fire and, and, and have faith when the rest of God's people were bowing down to this false God. Like, like We're choosing to not take things into account, to not give any credence to skin color. 
doesn't really matter. We're not really giving any credence to whether or not someone is rich or whether they're poor. We're not giving any credence to whether they're short or whether they're tall. We're not giving any credence as to whether someone is experienced or inexperienced. David was not experienced. He was a shepherd boy. God had called him. God had brought some lions, had brought some bears, so he could practice his sling in preparation for Goliath. He was called, but, but we're not giving credence to things, to these humanly wisdom, human understanding kinds of things that people tend, and the temptation, the render-pest pull of temptation is to put so much weight in that we forget calling, that we forget that God has actually called this person. I believe in God's sovereignty with all my heart. And I believe that there is not a whole bunch of people that God has chosen to be the additional pastor, to be the associate pastor of this church. I believe there is one man, one man. And it's our job humbly to, to go find that man. It's our job humbly to go to Bethlehem when God says go to Bethlehem. It's our job to go through the process that God has called us to go through so that we can find the one that God says arise, anoint him. He is the one. We're not giving any credence to whether he is young or he is old. We're not giving any credence to whether he is single or, he is, or whether or not he is married. We're going to go to seek after God's man for this. And some might say, well, Pastor Ben, shouldn't we, sh sh shouldn't we look more at the kind of the way that people go? No, I, I don't, I'm not really interested in what other people and what other churches are doing because the good majority of them are probably not even doing it right they're probably not even giving credence to god's word this requires faith it's scary it's you're, you're searching for a needle in a haystack there's there's kind of this notion especially in ministry that that single people can be really dangerous to hire well if they're called of god and they're who god has chosen then who are we to say that the guy's got to be married and have three kids and be 40 to 45 years old and been in ministry from five to seven years like we must trust the lord in this if you're with me say yes the Lord looks at the heart, and we should too. We ought not to drink, church, from the render-pest pool of preference. If anyone comes to me, or comes to anyone else who have asked me to help with this process, and they say something along the lines of, we need to find a man who only sings hymns. If anyone comes to me or any of the people that I've asked to help me and they say, well, we need someone who only sings contemporary songs. Your pastor is going to be very tempted to resort to name calling. <laughs> and the name that I will love to call you in that moment is a render pest water drinking kudu. So just <laughs> spare me of that whole moment and we'll move forward with God's great love for the church. Now, church, this obviously very much applies to us as a group, but this principle is absolutely the case for our personal lives as well, so don't miss this. This principle of looking at the heart and not the, just the outward appearance, it applies to choosing friends. There may be people in your life who have all the similar interests that you do, but if they're a dirtbag, if they're dishonest, you don't want them around your family. You, you must protect your family. That's... The, the Lord looks at the heart, and we should too. If you're in a position in your company or your workplace where they have entrusted hiring to you, and it's your job to find people, you know, somebody can have all the letters after they name, all the letters of the alphabet representing the degrees that they have, but if they have no work ethic, they're not going to be useful to you or the company that you serve. The Lord looks at the heart, and we should too. Dating, my goodness, you single people, listen to me. 
this principle is so applicable to you for you single folks. If you make a decision and date someone based only on their looks, you don't know whether or not they're crazy. Like you, you need to look at the heart of this person. Like I've had young guys, guys I love that will say, oh, Pastor Ben, I'm dating this girl and she looks so great. And I'm like, do you know anything about her other than the fact that she looks great? Because that's not going to mean anything when she's driving you nuts. Like you need to look at the heart of this person. It's tr- I'm not even trying to be funny. Like you're all laughing, but it's the truth here, y'all. You need to, this stuff will save your life. Now this next render, render pest pool of water is really something I'm preaching to myself here. I'm, I'm really, I mean, I could turn this pulp around and just preach to myself for a minute. So, so just hear me while I preach to myself. Verse 8. But Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his other sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. So kudu are kind of like, like I said, white-tailed deer in the way that they don't prefer to drink from the water that everything else is drinking from. They don't prefer a rutted up, hoof prints all over the place, muddy water. They don't prefer that. Antelope and deer usually don't prefer that kind of drinking water. They usually prefer undisturbed, unhindered, clear, fresh water. But the reason that a kudu will go to these holes, these watering holes with this render pest virus in it is, I guess, predominantly because they're dumb animals, but, but also because they, are, they get impatient they don't walk further to the fresh or clean water. They, they take the easy road that there is. There are a lot of churches today, church, and this is a render pest pool that I need to be aware of that, that settles for Eliabs. They settle for Abinadabs. They settle for Shamas. And the reason why is because ministry is busy. Ministry is so busy. The ratio that most people have said for years, and I, and I understand it to be true, is that when a church grows past 100, a hundred people is about as many people as one man can shepherd. It's the flock, the size of the flock that one man can shepherd effectively. And I think that's for maybe different for some people, but for me, I can say that was absolutely the truth because as this church went right past a hundred, it's, it's like I really started to feel the weight of the ministry and how busy it was and the time that it took. And, and, and ministry gets busy like that. You feel the pressure, you feel this you feel this like, man, at the end of every week, I understand that for pastors who are pastoring growing churches, like you get to the end of every week and there's so much other stuff that you really wanted to do that you just get and did, did not get a chance to do because you were too busy with more important things. And, and I understand that pressure. But what I wanted to say to me this morning, church, and second point this morning is that the Lord reveals the heart of the leader in his timing. The Lord reveals the heart of a leader in his timing. This process for our church could take two weeks, and it could take two years. And it's so important for me to remember this, that I not become impatient, that I not, I not drink from this render pest pool of impatience and pick for this church an Iliab or an Abinadab or a Shama, one that is not chosen of God to be in that role. It's important for this congregation, especially church, I'm going to ask you humbly as your pastor and these people that I've asked to help me in this process. As Let's say it does take a year, year and a half. Before you come to them with burdensome questions about how the process is going and how's it going and why is it taking so long, remember that this is a process that must be done right. And if it takes two years, if it takes three years, so be it. 
We must find God's man in this. I don't want us to settle for an Eliab and a Benadab or a Shammah. The Lord reveals the heart of the leader in his timing. The Lord could have had David be the first guy. Could have done it. No problem for God to have done that. But what did he do? He chose for there to be many that would pass by first before the Lord brought to him David, who he would then anoint as the next king. It's important, you young single folks. Man, is this important. Just remember that the right one, boy, talk about something you don't want to get wrong. Choosing the wrong person in life as a spouse. The Lord will reveal the heart of that person in God's timing. And it may not happen in this confine of when, you th- of when the culture says that it's normal. It may happen before then, as was the case for my sister who was married young. It may happen after that. It may happen when you're 40. But boy, better, better, to, better for this process to be done right in our church, in our lives. Better for this to be done right. So thus far, church, we have seen from God's word that the Lord looks at the heart of the leader and we should too. The Lord reveals the heart of the leader in his timing. And then from verse 11 on, and I invite you to look at verse 11 now, it tells us what happened because Samuel got it. He, he knew that the Lord looked at the heart. He heard the voice of the Lord for the Lord to remind him. I don't look at the, I don't look at the outward appearance, Samuel. Samuel, I don't need a man to have broad shoulders and a tall stature. I don't even need him to look like a king. I can do more with that shepherd. I don't need him to look this way. Samuel heard and he obeyed. Samuel heard and he obeyed when he saw all these other sons of Jesse going by and it wasn't David, it wasn't the right one. The Lord has not chosen these. The Lord has not chosen these. Are these all the young men? The Lord has not chosen these. He knew that the Lord would reveal the heart of a leader in the Lord's timing, and he was obedient to it. So let's see what happened, church. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Let me just pause right there for a moment, church. Jesse didn't even give credence that David could be the one. Jesse knew what was going on. He knew the process that Samuel was in of finding this anointed and having his sons pass before the prophet. He didn't even give credence that David could have possibly been the one. But look what the Lord did with David. Moving on there in the scriptures. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Church, what would have happened if Samuel picked Eliab? Honestly, I mean, in all honesty, we don't know because it didn't happen, but in all honesty, he probably would have been a pretty good king. He was was raised in the same household as David. Never had the same parents. He was... Same household, same rules. He grew up like David. He, he, there's a very good chance that he would have been a very good king. He probably would have led Israel in some, some pretty decent ways. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. But, but what I have to imagine probably would not have happened if Samuel chose Eliab instead of David, if, if Samuel chose Abinadab instead of David, if Samuel chose Shammah instead of David, or all the other sons. You know what I imagine probably would not have happened? is that there would not have been those stories of this young shepherd boy going and putting a hole through the corn-fed forehead of that bully Goliath. 
There probably wouldn't be the scriptures that we have that the Holy Spirit used David to write. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Eliab probably would not have been this Philistine wrecker that David was. He probably would not have been the man after God's own heart. It might, some good things may have happened in the kingdom, but the right things... The right examples, the scripture that God intended to use David through to write, those things happened because Samuel was obedient and he anointed David instead of an Eliab. So what do I think could happen if this church, if, if we decide to anoint us ourselves an Eliab or an Abinadab or a Shammah instead of David, instead of the man that God has chosen for this church to come alongside us and to help me minister? I think some good things can probably happen. We could probably go out in a couple weeks and find someone that would do a decent job. We could probably find someone that would probably maybe even have a decent ministry and go on and, and, and not have any great moral failures and, and, and be able to have a great time of ministry at this church. And, but you know what I believe with all my heart, church? is that if, if I were to be disobedient in this, if you, if the people that are going to help me were disobedient in this process and not have this Samuel-like attitude in going through this, I believe with all my heart that the person that we'll bring in this church will be someone that will be an influence for the gospel for some of our children and grandchildren and people that we bring that are visitors. God, God will work through that man to preach the gospel to those people. And do I believe that some people, because of our disobedience, because of our preferences, and well, we've got to have someone who only sings hymn, or well, we've only got to get someone who only sings new song, and we, we need someone who looks this kind. If we go in with our preferences, and those are the God, those are the things we worship instead of God. I believe with all my heart that there will be people that, that God would have intended in our obedience to save, perhaps even our children. And you wonder why I'm passionate about this this morning, church, is because I believe that when we get this right, that God's will and all this will happen. Will everyone that he preaches to come to know the Lord? No, but all that God intended to will when we're obedient and when we trust him. So would you stand with me with bowed heads as we come to the music now? I understand, church, that this is the kind of message that is very, very pertinent to this church and that... Many times people come together to, to hear the blessing, to hear a blessing that comes <clears throat> in my ears that gets me excited about the gospel and all these things. And the church, for us to be strong together, for us to move forward faithfully, church, these are the areas that we must get right. We must be humble about this. We must, we must go and find this man. So pray for me. If you've never fasted, pray and fast for me and the group of people that are going, going to be going out to, to find this person. And when that time comes, be it in two weeks or be it in five years, and we bring before you this man that we say, yes, this is not an Iliab. This is not an Abinadab. This is not a Shama. We believe that in this time that this for our church is a David. And that's what we believe. And then we as a church congregation will have an opportunity to vote on all that and how all those things go but it, it's a process that must be right so pray please pray for me and the group of people who help me please pray and fast for this process please pray for this man that we will have that will join us if it happens right church there's no telling the glory that we'll see come out of this wonderful wonderful blessing 
wonderful things that none of us would have imagined, just like those Israelites standing there as they see this valley and this little shepherd boy just levels this giant. That's the kind of man, that, that's the kind of man that I'm praying for this church. That's the kind of man that I'm praying God is even right now, this very moment, equipping for that. I'm excited about it. It's going to be a great journey. But it does require us to be humble. You know what it requires, church? And I'm not just preaching this because you're always supposed to preach the gospel at the end of a message. You know what it requires? It requires the same heart that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, if there's another way, if there's another way that we could, if there's another way that we could go about this, but God, whatever you have, I trust it. I'll follow it and I'll be obedient to it and look at the good that came out of what Christ did now none of us could ever compete or ever match that but by the faith that he gives us by his Holy Spirit empowering us I believe with all my heart church that that we can walk steadfastly in this process that we can be obedient in this process church I love you and I pray that if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ if none of this makes sense to you I, I hope that some light bulbs would begin to come on of like wow like they really love the gospel they really they really love this message that's so precious that's so powerful and the reason Pastor Ben's willing to work for five years however long it takes regardless of how overworked he might be because he understands that that this man may be the person that preaches the gospel to his little Daisy to my little girl Perhaps the Lord would work through that man to preach the gospel to her and she would come to know the Lord. So I'm not shortchanging this process. I'm not cheapifying this process. I'm not going to be a kudu with curled up horns will just walk in the way that everybody else is. I want this way to be right. I want this way to be right and I'm excited to do it with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for what you've done among us. Thank you for your word, Lord. My goodness, your word is what we need. And it does show us the way. Thank you for it, Jesus. Father, let us see this with the true eyes. Let us see this with the proper heart, Lord. Let us see this not as something to simply make Pastor Ben's work schedule easier, but as someone that will be... Someone the devil doesn't want us to have, Lord. Someone whose someone who's ministry will decrease the kingdom of Satan and increase the kingdom of your own. That's the man we want, Lord. We see your gospel. We see how precious it is, Lord. We see how it has saved us. We see, Lord, where we'd be if it wasn't for what you've done. We see how precious. We see how weighty. So let us, Lord, not be so deceived to, to drink from this common what everybody else is doing in this cheapified process let us be a people of prayer in this let this be divine of your be be orchestrated of your spirit of your divine spirit let this call be true we pray in the wonderful and matchless name of jesus the only name that can save the only name that we trust the only name that we serve the only name that can save and heal, the only name that we need, the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus. We all say amen together. Amen and amen. Let's worship.